We good now? Cool. Hey, y'all. Um, my name is Chandler Roland. I'm the RUF campus minister at Carson Newman. We are not good. We're working on it. Um, yeah, I work with RUF at Carson Newman, um, and uh, it, it's really cool to be here with y'all. Um, about it, actually, it was almost exactly a year ago this week, um, we moved our large group meeting space to here at Providence. So every, uh, every Monday night, whether y'all know it or not, you host 30 to 50 uh, college students to come and uh, to share a meal, um, to build community, and to hear the gospel uh, week in and week out. And for that, um, I am deeply, deeply grateful to y'all. And so it's been a, a real honor and a joy um, to partner with you in ministry and to, uh, and to serve Carson Newman and to serve um, Jesus as well. And uh, in case you're not familiar with RUF, um, this is kind of the spill I give our students every week. Uh, we, we remind every week that RUF is a, a community of people learning to love God and love Carson Newman together. And we say that we're a community, we mean that we are just that. We're a group of people who just kind of like to be around each other. Uh, we do a lot of fun stuff together. Um, we, uh, we have a group chat that people pick on me all week because I went to Ole Miss, um, you know. Uh, and, and then at 3 in the morning when I got home, I just liked all their comments, so it was fine. Um, but uh, um, we do stuff together. We enjoy being together. We say we're learning to love God together, that we are a group of people who... Uh, if, if students are coming from a place of knowing and loving Jesus, we want RUF to be a place for them to grow in their faith and their knowledge of him. If students are struggling with doubts, we want to be a safe place that they can ask questions and engage those doubts. And if they're skeptics and they just are looking for a free meal, cool, come on too. Uh, we say we're learning to love Carson Newman, that we're learning to know how to serve and, uh, and, and, and love our campus um, beyond just being involved. Um, and so... Uh, and then again, we wrap that up by saying that we do it together. Um, and so that's who we are. That's what we do. Um, and again, just a huge thank you to Providence for the way y'all have loved us and supported us um, really ever since uh, RUF has been here. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's, a huge, uh, it's a huge blessing to us. So thank you. And that's just a really long roundabout way of saying um, I'm preaching this morning. So uh, glad you're here. Uh, we're looking this morning at Mark chapter 5, verses 24 through 34. So uh, this is the word of the Lord. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched, uh, and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing against you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we turn uh, to your word, as we turn to this story of your interaction with one of your children, Lord, would you speak to us? Would you meet us in the place that you've promised us that you will always be speaking, and that is your word? And Lord, would you... Uh, please, this morning, strike a straight blow with a crooked stick. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, um, 
on, on Monday nights in REF, we're going through a series called God the Questioner. And we're working our way through the Bible, and we're looking at all the places where God specifically, like directly shows up and asks his people questions. And so we started back in Genesis, um, where, where God uh, kind of meets Adam and Eve in the garden and asks them some questions. We looked at uh, Cain and Abel, where God asks uh, God asked Cain, why are you so angry? He asked him, where's your brother? Uh, we looked at uh, Genesis 32, where God asked Jacob, what is your name? We're looking at all these different places where God asks his people questions. In the second half of the semester, we've been in the Gospels, with Jesus among his people asking them questions. So t- this morning, uh, we are asking the question, uh, which might seem like kind of a weird question for, uh, for a sermon, but who touched my garments? Who touched me? And, and, and again, it seems like a weird question, and, and, and I, think Jesus, um, I think Jesus knew exactly who touched him. Um, but the reason that I think this question is, um, but the reason that I think this question is so important is the reason that all these questions are so important, and that is these questions in Scripture that God asks his people is not for God's betterment or for God's knowledge, but it's for ours. That these questions are invitations to step into the work that God is doing and to see it and to see who we are in light of it. And so by asking who touched me, Jesus is meeting this woman exactly where she is. He's inviting her into something deeper than what she had initially bargained for. And to understand that, we need to understand um, the backstory a little bit. See, this story happens in the middle of another story. There's this, there's this uh, technique that Mark uses as he writes his gospel that... Uh, People have spent um, thousands of years to understand and develop a really fancy name for it called the Markin Sandwich. Um, the Markin Sandwich. I went to seminary to learn that term. Um, but what, what, Mark, what Mark does often in his gospel is that he will take one story and he'll tell part of it. And then he'll put another story that seems maybe related, maybe not, right in the middle of it. And then he'll go back to the original story. And, and this is what he's doing here, that in verse 22, which we didn't read, but Jesus is approached by a man named Jairus. And Jairus is a very important figure uh, in, in this day and age. Jairus was a, was a temple official. That he was a guy that people would have really looked up to. They wanted to be around. They wanted him on their side. He was pa- powerful. He had influence. And Jairus has a 12-year-old daughter who is on the brink of death. And so Jairus comes to Jesus and he begs him, please, please come and heal my daughter. That this man of great power and great authority is submitting himself to Jesus. He's he's really kind of, uh, reading the text, kind of embarrassing himself. But saying, please, please come and heal my daughter. And so Jesus and the disciples start to go. And the crowd picks up on what's happening. And so they start to follow because they're about to see something amazing. And this crowd throngs around him, and then here comes our, 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 our woman in the story who just, who just thinks if she can just come and touch Jesus' garment that she will be healed. And Jesus feels the power leave from him, and, and he, says, he stops and he says, who touched me? And, and you've got to think that the disciples are like, Jesus, what are you doing? Like, there are so many people around, this little girl's about to die, and by the way, like, major brownie points with temple officials. Like, major status for our movement here. But Jesus stops. And what we go on to read, actually, is that the little girl ends up dying, but Jesus comes and raises her from the dead. And so, and so I think what's happening here is we're seeing 
that Jesus operates on his own schedule because he understands the big picture better than we do. That Jesus was in control the whole time. He knew exactly what was going on, but the disciples and the, and the crowd couldn't see it. But the question is this woman, why is her story such a big deal? And even though, um, even though she herself is not on the verge of death, uh, her, her desperation is no less urgent. That she's had this bleed situation for, for 12 years. And, and what this likely is, is a, is a menstrual bleeding situation that just wouldn't stop. And, um, and the word for the condition that Mark uses here is used interchangeably in his gospel with uh, whipping, lashing, scourging, and tormenting. So this woman has been deeply hurt by this for 12 years. And Mark tells us that she has exhausted every resource that she had. She's given everything that she possibly had, money and time. And I mean, I don't know what else you have other than money and time, but she had given it all to go to doctors to figure out what was wrong. And Mark tells us that actually the situation had gotten worse. But her issue was deeper than that because not only is she suffering physically, that this condition led to her suffering spiritually as well. Because of this bleed that she was considered ceremonially unclean. And in order to be made clean, the bleeding would have to stop and she would have to go through a purification process, but it never stopped. And so she's cut off from being able to go to the temple and worship. She's cut off from being able to make sacrifices, from being around uh, her religious community. But more than that, probably also her social circle and her family as well. Because any contact with her would have made the people around her unclean as well. That to come into contact with that which is unclean is to make you unclean as well. And so for 12 years, she spent everything she had, all of her time, all of her money, all of her emotional, spiritual, physical capital to get better, and she wasn't, and she was completely, completely cut off. And so I, I want to ask you this morning, can you relate to that? Can you understand what she's going through? That, that we're, we're dealing with these questions of shame and disconnection and hurt probably some anger, maybe a lot of anger, um, isolation, and so on. Do you feel cut off? Do you feel isolated or unclean? Do you feel like whatever it is uh, that, you're, that you're struggling with, actually, I actually love that, uh, that Chanda shared what he shared a little while ago, um, because I think it, it ties in so well here. Do you feel like you're just struggling with something and you just... You've done everything that you possibly can to get over it or to get well, and it just won't happen. And you end up feeling worse. And I think that's something that, that realistically that, that we're dealing with every day on campus, is that, is that our students are, are, are going to school um, at, a, at a good school, but also in a very, uh, a very hyper-religious environment, right? That, like, it's not just... You're not just going to college like you're going to college for Jesus. And like all of a sudden, this weight just builds up and builds up. And everything starts to carry this massive spiritual significance about how this is the generation that's going to change the world or this or that or like whatever it is that, that feeds into that. And, and this weight becomes unbearable because there's all these expectations and yet there's all these struggles. 
And maybe, maybe it ends up being a, a besetting sin that you promise through clenched teeth, uh, through clenched fists and gritted teeth that you'll, you'll never commit again. We're just lying awake in bed at night and pleading with God, if you'll just, you just forgive me this one time, I'll never do this again. But you know that admitting it would cost you. Maybe it's a, a physical or a mental condition that for whatever reason you just can't bring yourself to come to terms with. That we see this a lot of times with, with eating disorders, anxiety, depression, and the stigma of dealing with those things is terrifying. And even if it's just that nagging feeling that college or, uh, or, or marriage or parenthood or um, retirement or, or what, whatever stage of life you're in, that, that feeling that where you are is not everything that you were promised it was going to be, and you're wrestling with that, you don't know how to admit it. I wonder, can you relate to this woman at all? Do you understand that feeling? And uh, the, uh, the great American philosopher, um, Taylor Swift, uh, her, song, uh, her song, Betty, I think captures this perfectly. And uh, if you've ever heard the song, Betty, I think it's a beautiful song, but um, it's the story, it's a song, a story about uh, uh, three people named James, Inez, and Betty. Apparently, James and Betty had a thing, and James cheated on Betty with someone else. And, uh, and Inez, who typically you can't believe a word she says most times, but this time it was true, um, told her about it. And James realizes his mistake, and in the chorus, James says this. He says, but if I just showed up to your party, would you have me? Would you want me? Would you tell me to go straight to hell or lead me to the garden? And in the garden, would you trust me if I told you it was just a summer thing? I'm only 17. I don't know anything, but I know that I miss you. And I think there's this, there's this struggle that's being captured that James is wrestling with, what if I just come clean? What if I just admit that what I did was wrong? Would I be accepted? Or would I be cut off? If I can just be honest about who I am and what I've done, what would happen? And I think that's where this woman is. To just acknowledge where she is. Acknowledge what she's going through. And maybe that's where you are. I, I think it's one of these things that even as, I mean, if you're, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer and you just have this thing that you just, you're just looking for something, or, or maybe you are a believer and you feel like you're trapped in the middle of it. But there's all this stuff that this woman has heard about Jesus that Mark tells us directly that she had heard the reports about Jesus, and so she sought him out thinking, if I can just touch his garments, I will be made well. And y'all, she was right. She was absolutely right. And it's so interesting that we're told nothing about her. I mean, we know that she had a condition for 12 years. We don't know her name. We don't know... If she was uh, trying to be faithful to keep the law, we don't know if she was one of the Jews who had been uh, eagerly awaiting the Messiah. We know nothing except that she was sick and she sought Jesus. And then she touched his garments and she was immediately healed. And I think that she probably was content to just slip away into the crowd and never be heard from again. But then Jesus stops and says, who touched me? She knew immediately that she was healed, and Jesus felt the power leave him. 
It's actually kind of an amazing moment. Um, Tim Keller points out that right here, Jesus is giving up or is giving away um, some of his power so that this nameless, faceless woman could gain it. That, that this, this thing that normally when the unclean comes into contact with the clean, the unclean makes the clean unclean. But by the unclean touching Jesus, the unclean is made clean itself. And she's gained healing. She got what she came for. And again, she probably was content to slip away into the crowd and just go on about her life. But we know that's not what Jesus lets us do. And I think that Jesus is inviting her in to take her faith from something superficial and superstitious to something real and life-changing. One of my um, seminary professors, uh, a guy named Derek Thomas, um, who I love and think the world of, and everything I'm going to quote him, like he's got this really beautiful Welsh accent, so just imagine it in Welsh, and it sounds better. Um, but uh, Derek Thomas preached on this passage, and, and uh, he said this. This is, a, this is a paraphrase, and I'll quote in a second, but... He says that she went to Jesus anonymously, but he had to stop her and explain the situation to her in order to draw her out. He was not going to allow her to live the rest of her life anonymously, thinking there was some magical power about Jesus' garments. Her faith was superstitious, and if not completely uninformed, significantly underformed. And so I think when Jesus asked this question, he's doing two things. The first thing, and this is quoting Dr. Thomas, Jesus is showing her that a weak faith can lay hold of a strong Christ. Thomas says this, The promises of God, my friends, are not addressed to those who have mighty faith, but to those who have real faith. The promises don't come to sinners and say, we want you to know that those who have giant faith and who can work wonders and walk on water and can raise the dead and can stop the mouths of lions, these are the people who shall be saved. No, whoever trusts in Jesus Christ shall not perish, but have everlasting life. If your faith is as strong as a bruised reed, my friend, as a bruised reed, the Lord will not break it. He will not break it. See, her faith is by no means perfect when she came to Jesus. When we see uh, the thief on the cross, his faith was not perfect. We see the father of the demon-possessed son who comes, comes to Jesus himself and says, I believe I'm having a hard time believing. Please help my unbelief. None of these people have perfect faith. But their faith is real because it's not perfect. Their faith is real because they're looking to something that is perfect. And I love the, uh, the, old, um, the old Peter Pan movie. Um, you know, where, uh, where, where Tinkerbell is clearly a person just like off camera shining a flashlight on a wall. And, uh, and, there, and there's, the scene where, um, there's the scene where Tinkerbell um, drinks the poison and they start to like flicker the flashlight. And, uh, and, and Peter Pan uh, looks at the camera and is like, kids, if you believe in Tinkerbell, I need you to clap right now. Like, what does every little kid watching that movie do? They just start clapping, like, like you know. And I think that's how we think about our faith, right? That if our faith is not perfect, that somehow Jesus is not as powerful. That somehow if our faith is not perfect, that somehow Jesus is less God or the cross was less atoning. And what we see time and time again in Scripture is that the strength of Jesus has nothing to do with the strength of our faith. 
And in fact, it is weak faith that is far more honored than the faith that comes and pretends to have all the answers. And again, that's something that our students are struggling with. That's something that I've struggled with a lot in my life. And I think that if, if my life is anything like the, the normal Christian experience, then probably something a lot of you are too. That something's happened and, and your faith has been shaken and your faith feels weak and you're struggling. But again, you don't have to have the answers to come to Jesus. That you're wrestling with what you need to do in these struggles because you don't know what comes next. You don't know what people are going to think. That the people in your church have seen you in church for years or your parents were there when you got baptized when you were 12 and now how are they going to handle knowing that you're struggling with your faith? And so what we end up doing is trying to strengthen our faith, to make our faith better on our own, which is just us putting our faith in our faith, which is just self-righteousness. But Jesus is showing this woman, and by extension, all of us, that your faith is imperfect. It absolutely is. And it's always going to be. But he's showing us that while our faith is imperfect, Christ is perfect. That he is the one who is strong. He is the one who heals. He is the one who atones. And so if you're struggling with this idea, like maybe you're wrestling with the fact that you came to Jesus originally with ulterior motives or superstition or out of just hoping to get something out of it, who cares? This just feeds into the lie that you have to get yourself together before you come to him. That this woman did not sit around and think that she needed to be 100% sure that she knew that she knew that she knew. She didn't try to get her theology right before she came to Jesus. None of that. She just heard that this guy might be able to help her, and so she went to him. But when she met him, he changed her. And true faith is actually a gift of God's grace that he gives freely if we come to him. But Jesus is also acknowledging that he has seen her shame. He's seen it. He's seen her isolation, her brokenness. He's seen her exactly where she is, and he's met her there. She responds to him with fear and trembling. Because think about that moment that Jesus turns around, who touched my garments? And, and she knows she did it. And my guess is probably the people around knew exactly who she was. So they look around and they say, wait, here's this unclean woman in the middle of this massive throng. She's breaking the law. The punishment would have been severe. And so in this moment, she's got to admit something that is a great risk to her. But she comes and she says, it was me, and she told him everything. And instead of cutting her off, instead of punishing her, he names her. He looks at her and says, daughter. And think about that from a woman who's probably been cut off from her family for 12 years. A woman who has been cut off from her spiritual community for 12 years. A woman who has been sick for 12 years. That here's this man, Jesus, who heals her and calls her daughter. That he meets her in the exact place that she feels the most cut off and the most damaged. And so by asking, who touched me? He's inviting her to be named, to be changed, and to be healed. 
And y'all, that's where Jesus meets us. By asking, who touched me? Jesus is inviting you and me into something more, something deeper than a superstitious relationship where we get stuff, but into a relationship where we get renamed. And now everything is different. And that's really what this question is about. That Jesus is reminding us that we don't get to have some anonymous, superficial relationship on our terms, but instead one on His, where He heals us, He cleanses us, and He makes us new. See, He's inviting us to confess that we, unclean, impure sinners, can be and are being changed by His grace and bringing us into a relationship where He makes us not simply into new creations, but adopted sons and daughters with all of the grace and the glory of being children of the King. So I want to close with this. I don't know, um, I don't know if you are familiar with the, uh, the Apple TV show, Ted Lasso. Um, I can't 100% recommend it, but this is a really powerful scene from it. Um, Ted Lasso is the story of uh, the main character, Ted Lasso, who is a, a uh, junior college American football coach. Um, who, out of spite, gets hired to come and manage AFC Richmond in the English Premier League um, soccer. I don't know a lot about soccer, so I'm going to mess a lot of this up. That doesn't directly do with the show. But um, so, so he's brought over to coach this soccer team, and, um, and it's a hilarious disaster. Um, but Ted, Ted's this eternal optimist and, and ends up people uh, just really kind of um, coalesce around him, and it becomes this beautiful community. Um, and in, in season, at the end of season one, uh, there's, this, um, there's this character named Jamie Tart that originally was like FC Richmond, but he thought he was, you know, amazing. And so he went to Manchester City. And Manchester City, in the last episode, this is a huge floor, by the way, I'm sorry, but it's been out for two years, so you're fine. Um, but uh, um, Manchester City scores a goal at the end of the game to, to relegate, which I think is the right term, uh, to relegate FC Richmond down a league. And so in season two, um, a bunch of stuff has happened. Jamie Tart is back with Richmond, and, and they get the chance to play Manchester City again. It's a big deal, and everybody's excited. And um, AFC Richmond, they start to believe, and uh, and, and then they and then they lose five nil, which I'm told in soccer means zero. Um, but it's this it's this really embarrassing thing because Jamie Tart, who has this really complicated relationship with his dad. Uh, his dad shows up to the game wearing a Jamie Tart jersey, but for Manchester City. So after the game, his, his dad comes into the locker room and in front of the whole team just starts to berate him. Just tell him he, he was never worthy of the family name and he was an embarrassment and a failure. And everybody's just kind of standing there listening. And eventually, Jamie's had enough and he, and he, and he punches his dad in the face. And, the, and one of the coaches grabs his dad and takes him out and and Jamie's just standing there, and everybody's staring at him. They, 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 they've seen this low moment of his shame. And there's another character named Roy Kent, and Roy's this stoic, um, funny, but, you know, real abrasive guy. That, and, and Jamie and, and Roy have always had this huge rivalry. And Roy's a coach uh, for AFC Richmond now. And, and in this moment of deep, dark, very public shame, Roy just walks over and hugs him. He doesn't say a word. He just grabs him and he holds him. And Jamie just falls apart. But Roy meets him in his shame and his loneliness and his devastation. 
And y'all, that's why Jesus asks who touched him. Because he will not leave us alone in our shame and our loneliness and in our devastation. To meet her, to meet us in that moment. And to bring us back to Taylor Swift, he doesn't tell us to go to hell. He took all of the force and the punishment and the wrath of hell on himself. So that he could look us in the eye and call us sons and daughters. And he says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And that is our promise in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you see the nameless and faceless people around you. Lord, thank you that you see those of us that are, that are hurting and cut off and struggling and alone. So Lord, I, I pray this morning that, um, that these words, that your word, would be an encouragement to those of us who know you and love you and trust you. Lord, and that they would be a call to those of us who don't. Lord, that today would be the day. Today would be the day that you would look into our sin and our shame and tell us, son, daughter, your faith has made you well. And that you would give us peace. That's in your name we pray. Amen. So stand and continue in worship.